Hello, this is Seng Yao, and welcome back to the ASEAN Speaks podcast. Friday's US jobs report showed that unemployment rate continued to drop as 559,000 jobs were added in May. With that Goldilocks report, it will help markets keep its focus on the economy and the Federal Reserve from rushing to change its easy monetary policies. This week, our focus will be Malaysia-centric. With the latest lockdown, our strategies will touch on three key developments today. With Malaysia's latest 40 billion stimulus package, the question is what is its impact on the country's fiscal deficit? Secondly, Malaysian government security staged a minor rally last week. Is the rally sustainable and what are the inherent risks relating to further rounds of OPR rate cuts? Lastly, the global chip shortage may likely last for another year. But a lockdown in Malaysia, where many semiconductor suppliers are located, could add more pressure on supply chains that are already stretched. Our ASEAN tech team will attempt to give us the lay of the land, what investment ideas work in their view, and what doesn't. My colleague Chuak Bin will moderate the conversations from here on. Hey, hi, good morning. It's um, Monday, 7 June. So let's kick off first with our Suhaimi. Uh, so, yes, Suhaimi, Malaysian government has introduced a 40 billion stimulus package. So, is this as large as the headline figure 40 billion suggests? Uh, where's the money coming from? And I guess any impact on the fiscal deficit? Um, of the 40 billion package, around 5 billion is actually direct fiscal injection consisting of uh, slightly over 2 billion ringgit cash assistance to lower income households and workers in tourism and land transport affected by the lockdown, half a billion, one and a half billion uh, ringgit for one month's extension of which subsidy program, another one billion ringgit for public health, as well as uh, half a billion ringgit in grant for micro, small and medium enterprises. Government also extends until end of this year the stamp duty and sales tax exemptions for purchases of residential properties and, and cars. Now, the biggest item in the package is actually off-budget, the extension of the banking system targeted loan moratorium and repayment assistance estimated to be worth 30 billion uh, ringgit. <coughs> Other off-budget items include extra 2 billion in Bank Negara's targeted relief and recovery facility uh, for financing of uh, SMEs. Another one and a half billion ringgit microcredit facilities by development financial institutions and government agencies, as well as 10% electricity bill discount for the months of July and September to businesses affected by uh, the lockdown. According to Ministry of Finance, funding for the stimulus package will come from a combo of borrowings, saving and spending by controlling and reprioritizing expenditures and possibility of extra dividends or income from statutory bodies and government-linked companies. Uh, government budget deficit this year is likely to be revised upward due to another round of economic stimulus package and downside risk to GDP growth as a result of uh, this lockdown. Uh, budget deficit target was raised to 6% of GDP as a result of the earlier stimulus package in March. Uh, compared with 5.4% of GDP when budget 2021 was stable uh, November last year. So could you update us on your on your GDP growth forecast, you know, given the lockdown and the stimulus? And do you think the MCO will be likely extended and does it need to be even uh, tightened further? Now we're still re-evaluating uh, the situation. Obviously, the key determinant in terms of uh, forecast would be that time length of the uh, current uh, MCO. Uh, I think currently the risk is extension 
from the current two weeks uh, that is enforced between 1st to 14 June since cases remain high. A daily average of uh, 7,410 in the first six days of June, also the first six days of this phase one lockdown, compared that with 5,300 in May, uh, about slightly over 2,100 cases per day in April and just under 1,500 cases uh, in March. Uh, our forecast uh, was 5.1%. Uh, conservative relative to streets and official numbers of 6 to 7.5%, a number that we have maintained since August last year. So uh, we will be uh, coming up with uh, revised uh, numbers at the end of this week as we also wait whether or not the government is going to announce extension of uh, current phase one uh, lockdown. Okay, thanks, Swami. I think I'll bring in Jean here. Uh, Jean, I think there are a lot of concerns that Malaysia's MCO and lockdown could hurt Singapore's tech and manufacturing companies. So, and that, that couples with the problems now from the chip shortages. So what are you hearing on the ground from the Singapore tech companies? Hi, good morning, Harbin. Um, so the uh, Titan MCO and lockdown in Malaysia, we're not expecting uh, for this to uh, pose much of a dis uh, disruption to FY21 sales uh, across the tech companies that we cover in Singapore. Um, and so the estimate, what, what we've quantified uh, the estimate to be is about a 1% to 3% of um, FY21 revenue. And I suppose the key here is if there is an extension. So for every week of extension, um, then uh, we uh, of, of, of the restrictions that we see right now, uh, we expect the impact uh, to be within the vicinity of 0.2 to 0.9% uh, of full year revenue. Uh, but the, in reality, the actual impact can be a lot more benign than this, uh, not just because you know these companies are in essential industries, but more so because um, you know, these companies are putting in more shifts uh, while uh, still adhering to um, the worker cap restrictions to reduce the impact. Um, in terms of uh, component shortages, I would see that uh, I would see and say that would be a larger uh, risk than the um, restrictions that we're seeing in Malaysia. Um, and as such, we prefer uh, companies with exposure to, um, or, or rather, are beneficiaries of the component shortages, uh, such as UMS and Franklin. So which um, companies are most sensitive to you know, the risk of the lockdowns being extended in Malaysia? And then can you remind us again your preferred picks in the Singapore tech space? Okay. So in terms of companies with the largest uh, footprint in Malaysia, that would be Venture and, um, and, and uh, UMS. So we expect for with both of these companies, uh, we expect that more, more than two-thirds of their production footprint uh, are in Malaysia. Uh, in the case of UMS, they have also, uh, uh, while they have uh, quite a large footprint in Malaysia, I think the one of the reasons why they are also having quite a good buffer is because of um, 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 inventories. Uh, uh, they've got buffer inventories there as well. Um, your question on you know some of the com other companies that we like, so aside from UMS and Franken that we like, uh, we also like AEM. Uh, we see the recent selling off um, uh, you know, as, as sort of opening a, an attractive opportunity to buy the dips ahead of a second half uh, 2021 recovery um, and uh, 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 as, as a realignment of cyclical and structural prospects take place. Um, it's also interesting to note that there have been share buybacks and insider buying. And typically when this happens, it signals a strong growth uh, outlook ahead. We also like uh, Aztec um, and we see Aztec as an attractive proxy to consumer IoT adoption. Uh, 
through their uh, customers. Um, and right now, um, they appear not to be struggling with component shortages as well. And they've also come out to say um, that uh, the, the Malaysia situation um, is, is very manageable. Okay, great. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. Um, Winston, uh, I think the MGS, uh, uh, Malaysian government security, staged a small rally last week. Um, well, what, so what's driving the rally? Uh, what are you recommending clients to do at this stage? Hi, morning. Yes, yeah. The MGS yields at the front end and the mid tenor, um, it fell by about four to seven bips. The curve bull steepened because, um, as usual, um, the, the lockdown and also a potential disappointment on growth, it kind of raised the question again whether uh, the Bank of Grand Malaysia had to cut rate. Um, is the market implying a cut currently? Uh, I would say it's not uh, because if you look at the forward rate as implied by the IRS curve pricing, it's roughly balanced. There's no clear indication of whether there will be a hike or a cut over a six-month period. So on one hand, it could actually mean more rarely if the COVID situation uh, worsens. But we actually recommend investors not to chase the rally and potentially to take profit instead because um, uh, if markets start to turn dovish, implying a cut by BNM, I think what we should not forget is uh, if we take a medium-term outlook uh, over six months or longer, especially in the global environment, it's still more likely for stronger growth and better inflation outlook. And a number of major economies like China, US, or even Canada, um, we are talking about potential tightening one to two years down the road. And also Malaysia vaccine rollout initially was slow. It was lagging uh, quite a number of ASEAN peers. But I think in the past few weeks, uh, it's been showing signs of improvement. It has overtaken Indonesia. Currently, Malaysia uh, vaccine coverage ratio for those receive at least one, the first dose, uh, is about 7.2%. So in fact, the government plan to speed up um, vaccination further. So it looks like the fiscal deficit is uh, possibly headed higher, you know, as uh, Swami said, um, with this larger fiscal stimulus. So um, what are you expecting in terms of the debt ceiling? Is there a risk that will be raised again? And what might be the reactions from the rating agencies? Yeah, debt ceiling currently is at 60%. Uh, whether it can be raised again, I think there is such a possibility because uh, after all, it's a function of economic growth and deficit ratio for Malaysia, how much can we achieve for 2021? And because we have a new lockdown, um, I actually have a sensitivity table um, on the report uh, based on uh, what kind of growth we get and also deficit ratio. As for example, growth slows below 4.5% and also deficit ratio go above 6%. Um, it, the debt, statutory debt ratio can actually touch or even slightly exit 60%. Uh, but of course, um, during the global financial crisis in 2008 and 9, Malaysia did revise the ratio twice uh, from 40 to 45% and then um, to 55% again. So yeah, there's continued challenges. It might be raised again. And in terms of uh, the rating, um, there are three rating agencies. Fitch already downgraded Malaysia to Triple uh, P Plus in December last year. So I don't really expect any additional actions from them. Um, Moody's continue to view Malaysia more favorably than the other two agencies. So I think optimistically, uh, I expect Moody's to keep Malaysia at A3 with a stable outlook. Um, I think the remaining challenge for Malaysia is SMP because uh, obviously they have a negative outlook on Malaysia. So uh, given the current situation, I think uh, there might be risks. Uh, Thanks, Winston. 
Um, Anand, so I guess, no, um, I guess a couple of questions for you. But first one is, what are the main takeaways and surprises in terms of the first quarter Malaysian earnings wrap? And I guess, where do you see earnings going from here, given the, given the lockdown? Yeah. Hi. Hi. Good morning, Hagmin. Morning, everyone. So I think first quarter reporting uh, across the region was, was fairly robust, and that was expected uh, given the low base and the recovery quarter on quarter. In the case of Malaysia, it was actually above expectations. So we had earnings uh, for our coverage basket increasing 30% quarter on quarter and over 60% year on year. Now that makes up a, a third straight quarter of quarter and quarter earnings expansion. So, you know, however rocky the GDP numbers are, at least for the corporate sector, we are seeing quite a steady earnings recovery. And this has been led by the sectors of banks, uh, construction, uh, petrochemicals, uh, and plantations. The interesting thing about the results in Malaysia is even though the beats to misses uh, was a record high at 2.2x, uh, you know, this is only the second time in 10 years we've had such a good uh, ratio uh, in terms of uh, beats to misses. The analysts have been holding back, uh, and this is not surprising given that we're entering a new lockdown and there's downside risk to earnings. So the number of uh, upgrades has been a lot less than the previous reporting season. We had 12 then, we only have five now. Now, obviously, the question on everyone's mind is, you know, how much downside is there to our earnings projections for this year. To, remember, uh, to recap, you know, for the KLCI, we're looking at 49% uh, earnings growth this year compared to 12% contraction last year. Now, there's obviously some risk, and it really depends how, how long this uh, stage one lockdown uh, persists for. But I must stress uh, that you know, we shouldn't get too carried away in terms of KLCI impact because many of the sectors at risk, such as consumer, REITs, uh, tourism plays like Genting, uh, and MEHB, uh, as well as aviation, uh, have fairly low earnings and KLCI representation. So even if we do see downgrades coming through for these sectors, it may not you know, totally uh, derail our earnings uh, rebound expectations for this year. So I think uh, you know, we've, we've kept our outlook uh, fairly intact for Malaysia. Uh, and I think uh, we will just have to monitor the situation going forward. Yeah, so Anya, as part of the Invest ASEAN um, conference, we released the ASEAN Rising the Next, next Decade report and, um, you know, and your latest ASEAN strategy. So um, could you highlight um, you know, some of the key themes and, uh, and the strategy? Sure. So uh, I definitely urge everyone to read the chart book. Uh, you know, we have uh, sort of surmised uh, into a very concise format uh, the 10 thematic days that we are uh, running through Invest ASEAN conference. And we had a very successful one last year with you, Hagbin. Uh, last week, sorry, with you. It just feels like a year. It's actually a week. Uh, last week with you, I've been on, on politics uh, and the US-China relationship. And we have nine more to come. So as the title suggests, you know, uh, ASEAN rising the next decade, we have an optimistic uh, view now that vaccines are here and, and, you know, earnings are rebounding and GDPs are rebounding. And we've split the uh, thematics uh, into two broad baskets. So one, we have the sort of the existing uh, kind of old economy kind of views that need to be refreshed for the post-pandemic realities. So we have sessions on politics like we had last week. Uh, and we also uh, take a fresh look at uh, the biggest sectors in the region or investable sectors in the region like finance and property. The second half uh, really is where the new economy uh, drivers come in, which we want to flesh out because you know, ASEAN's been a bit slow on this front and there's going to be a lot of disruption in the pipeline, which could be opportunities as well. So we'll be covering, you know, uh, we'll be having expert speakers in on sessions like crypto, uh, you know, and as well as uh, decarbonization, which includes uh, recycling, uh, and the power sector and plantation sector, all very big uh, investor sectors, uh, as well as EV, which, uh, you know, some countries have been a bit slow on. Uh, and we hope this will shed light on where the potential winners and losers are. 
Anand, I think you also re released your latest bi-weekly ASEAN strategy report um, last week. So any uh, new topics? Yeah. So as mentioned, you know, ASEAN has had a pretty good run the last two weeks. It's, it's a nice change, uh, you know, and this is despite still challenging uh, infection news flow from many of the countries uh, in the region. Uh, so you've had record levels reached at, at Vietnam, uh, and you've seen, as I mentioned before, generally robust first quarter results. Some of the other drivers, and Malaysia is part of this, uh, is you know strong retail investor participation at record levels in many countries. Also, some selective uh, or targeted fiscal packages supporting the economy still, and Malaysia has also uh, seen this. And of course, accelerating vaccine rollouts, because everyone now knows, as you, as you can see from Singapore and Vietnam's outperformance, that bringing this pandemic under control far outweighs any other policy measures you may have in, in terms of impacting uh, the capital markets at least. So I think uh, we have not dramatically changed our, our, our you know, uh, positioning in, in ASEAN. We still think Singapore and Vietnam will continue to maintain their performance gap versus the other countries until we see our vaccination rates uh, converging. Uh, but we have made some changes. So in Vietnam, the trend is very much uh, increasing target prices to reflect the very robust uh, on-the-ground realities for the economy. So we've raised prices, uh, target prices in uh, TCB, in the financial sector, FVT, in tech. Uh, in Singapore as well, we are adding to our coverage with, uh, with positive uh, in, uh, IP uh, sort of our coverages like Serene SP, which was uh, initiated last week. Very interesting company, the diamond trade. And even in the Philippines, which has been the biggest underperformer, we are finding room for upgrades uh, as value emerges with uh, the current underperformance. So broadly, we are still uh, on an upward bias in terms of ratings. Great. Thanks, Anand. Uh, Satyandi, I think your latest FX uh, monthly report highlights the shift in central bank uh, positioning away from the more dovish positions. So what are the signs that you're reading and what does this mean for the US dollar and other majors? I have been uh, morning. I think, uh, yes, in our piece, the last monthly and some of our weekly reports that we come out uh, highlighted that um, the shift in the central bank's bias largely came out of uh, a few central banks. Uh, we've seen the Bank of Canada first to signal uh, mid-April. Uh, they were the first one uh, they, that they could hike as soon as next year uh, and most recently cut their bond purchases. So that led to some of the revisions to the Canadian dollar that we had in our forecast. So it out, uh, Canadian dollar outperformed most FX, uh, including US dollar by close to about 5%. Uh, but the week before last, uh, RBNZ and the Bank of Korea unexpectedly turned hawkish as well. So we highlighted that as well. So for the former, not only were the New Zealand growth, inflation and employment projections upgraded, uh, they also uh, changed their OCR projection, which is the policy rate, uh, which was earlier missing. Uh, and then for Bank of Korea, uh, markets were actually pricing one hike in the next six months and two hikes. But uh, Bank of Korea's tone has somewhat shifted away from dovish bias with the governor uh, sort of stating that they uh, that having eased uh, to, uh, to the unprecedented level, they, I think they he highlighted that uh, they should adjust these measures as appropriate. And then on top of that, of course, the key thing is on the Fed front. Uh, there have been um, more hawkish comments from the Fed uh, so they've signaled somewhat, some in some ways, some comments by Vet Vice Chairs Clarida and Calls uh, contributing to the hawkish tone uh, of the April FOMC minutes. But overall, we think um, we still look for an official announcement. Potentially, markets are pricing in in November of a tapering announcement with actual sort of expectations, probably early part of next year, uh, and sort of the 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 sort of developments of risk coming up probably in the last quarter of this year. Uh, our, our view, of course, is 
indications of more robust tapering uh, discussions by Fed speakers uh, in this coming June, FOMC could actually reduce downward pressure on, on the dollar. So I think dollar would be quite key. In fact, FX markets have been actually very uh, moving neither here nor there, uh, trying to keep a bit of um, uh, directions from the FX markets uh, in terms of volatility, in terms of data with the US and inflation. Uh, but we think that um, we don't think there'll be any um, uh, overheating, sort of huge overheating stories over the next few months. And I think earlier tapering will be kept in check, we think. And that should actually continue to support high beta, high yield EMFX uh, against the dollar. And uh, like I mentioned, I think that continue, the, our view is I think that we should be continue to be mild uh, US dollar softness uh, in okay. the next few months. So Andy, I think the room and P has been you know, getting quite a bit of attention. It's been uh, appreciating, um, I guess, significantly of late. Um, so what's driving the strength? And uh, where do you see the room and P going from here? I think I Quickly, fundamentally, current account surplus uh, carry advantage. I think macro improvements and I think prudent and neutral monetary policy out of uh, China seems to be aligned with renminbi. Uh, they have been uh, rolling out a few measures to sort of lean against renminbi strength. Our view, I think, it remained bullish on the yen, uh, although the pace of appreciation could moderate after that PBOC signal by the reserve requirements. Uh, we expect or retain our view that CNY will appreciate against the dollar. Uh, now look for the pair to uh, probably head towards the 625 over the next 12 months. We actually revise it slightly uh, lower on the dollar CNY front uh, in, in light of our dollar view still uh, being maintained somewhat. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Um, lastly, let's bring in Yuwani. Uh, Yuwani, I think so. Thailand finally at um, hopefully vaccination is um, picking up. So are Thai hospitals going to benefit from this ramp up? And I guess uh, you know, using the private hospitals to actually uh, uh, speed up the whole uh, vaccination process. Um, what's your view on the Thai healthcare sector? And which names are your topics? Thank you. Although vaccination is ramping up, there is some room for the private vaccination because, uh, for example, Pfizer and Moderna are considered better vaccines with less side effects. So some people may want to pay for it if it comes in soon enough. They target this to be either third or fourth quarter, but I think if fourth quarter people, uh, not many people will wait, they will offer the free public vaccination. We prefer the laggards, BH and BDMS, because we believe that they should benefit from the opening up of Thailand borders starting from uh, July onwards. Uh, BH earns about two-thirds of their income from international patients and, and will likely benefit most, and BDMS 30%. We believe the recovery may not, uh, for them both, may not happen until the second half of next year. However, we think the reopening of borders could be a positive catalyst for them. I guess you want to, are we too optimistic about the reopening of borders in July? You know, because the vaccination rate, even though it's picking up, I think it's still below, uh, you know, 5%. Um, and could you update us on the vaccination rate in Phuket, since I suppose that would be the first place that's supposed to be open up? Uh, Phuket, I believe that the vaccination rate is still below, seven, uh, sorry, still below 50%. Uh, but the government targets uh, that the the whole seventy percent of the 
whole population will be vaccinated by the end of this month. And I think with the the vaccines available, vaccines available, uh, this should be possible. And last week they they held a conference uh, on Friday and they reiterate that the plan should go on. Uh, however, for the third quarter, they only project one hundred thousand. Uh, people uh, for the whole quarter, so I, I I think the the incoming tourist arrivals will be small. However, this should be uh, positive news for you know tourism and the Thai healthcare sector.